0: heights to the depths of the sea.
1: But he, Hezekiah, he removed the high places and he broke the sacred pillars, these instruments of of idolatry that they had built up. He cut down the wooden image. And this is specifically uh, a a wooden image uh, in worship of Asherah. She was a female Canaanite goddess of fertility. And so they, he cut the wooden image down, which no one had the guts to do. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made.
0: Uncontainable. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. King Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He was one of Judah's most zealous reformers, even prohibiting worship on the high places. These were popular altars for sacrifice, set up as the worshiper desired, not according to God's direction. God was never happy about this practice, but none of the other good kings ever found the courage to forbid it. Hezekiah did. He was unique in his passion and energy of his personal trust in God and for promoting the true worship of God. This is even more remarkable when we consider that his father, Ahaz, was one of the worst kings of Judah. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress.
1: Write down a few verses, um, because 2 Kings 18, 19, and 20, so 2 Kings 18 through 20, we're going to be going over the next couple of weeks And it speaks of the life of Hezekiah. In fact, there's more written about Hezekiah than probably any other king in Judah or a king, period, except for Solomon. And for good reason. He was an exemplary man. And now at the darkest hour of Judah, what does God do? He raises up a star. He raises up a man unlike Ahaz. He raised, Somehow, how did that happen? Out of this horrible man comes forth this young man who was completely diametrically opposed to everything his father ever did. How did that happen? And he raises up a star at the right time in history preserving Judah just a little bit more. And God would even raise up Josiah later on, not too far away. He'd raise him up too. And then after that, the nation would plummet into darkness and there'd be no hope for them. And they would be cast into captivity by the Babylonians. But write these scriptures down at the top of your page for this chapter. because So 2 Kings 18-20, through 20, because they'll speak about Hezekiah specifically. And then 2 Chronicles, chapters 29 through 32. Second Chronicles 29 through 32. And then finally, Isaiah, chapter 36 through 39. I promise you, if you read those chapters specifically, you're going to get a big understanding of who Hezekiah was, his ministry, and everything that was coming against him and how God prospered him at the right time in, uh, in Israel or in Judah's history. And so um, let's go back to verse 1 again. Notice what it says. It came to pass in the third year of Hosea. So Hosea, we've already learned this, he reigned for 20 years. He was the king of Israel from 732 to 722 B.C. And Hezekiah, who is mentioned here, he reigned from 715 to 686 B.C., a total of 29 years. But it's also true that he was vice-regent with his father for 14 years from 729 to 715, and a total of 14 years. So you do the math, he was in power for quite a while. Now a vice-regent, uh, as he was, means that he reigned with his father but in a subordinate uh, position. Um, you've heard of me use the word co-regent, and co-regent sounds just like what it is. Two kings reigning together. A good example of this would be when a king is really old, and he's, 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 got, he's on his last year or two of life, he would have his, his, his firstborn son be the king. And so the king would still be the king, but he would be um, reigning alongside of his father. And so... But uh, Hezekiah was vice-regent with Ahaz for 14 years before he finally came into his own and then reigned for another 29 years. But notice what it says in verse 2, he was 25 years old when he started. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and it tells us who his mother's name was. And again, I find this interesting from a human point of view, because Hezekiah was 25 when he began and being vice-regent with his father. And he saw and experienced all his father had done and all of his wickedness. And there's an old adage, like father, like son, or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We've all heard that, right? But it doesn't apply here. In this case, the apple didn't fall from the tree. The tree was healthy. The apple didn't need to fall. It was very healthy, attached to the vine, and that was Hezekiah. And it seemed that somehow, sometime, that Hezekiah learned and he learned from his dad and he made up his mind of who he was going to be, what he was going to be like. And I, you know, I, I love that because young people need to do that today. you got to take a serious look. How am I going to be? Am I going to be like all my friends at school? Am I going to wear everything that they wear and, and, go and do the same things that they do? Or am I going to be unique? I mean, we're all unique. Every one of us. There's no one that's the same. Are we going to be the same? We can allow God to do something unique in you because, listen, God only does unique things with each of us. We should never compare each other with one another. We should never do that. Because what God may be doing in your life, He's going to do something a little bit different in this life. And He's going to be using this person in a different place. And there might be even more visible fruit than what you might see in your ministry, but it doesn't mean that God loves you less. It doesn't even mean that you're being not as fruitful. We, 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 we gauge by success because we're Americans. If it's working, we want it bigger, and we want it faster, and we want to manufacture it and export it. That, that's, our, that's capitalism. <laughs> but that, that's not so in the kingdom of God. The only thing we should be exporting is the gospel. But we're not doing it for gain. We're not doing it to be seen. Notice that he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And verse 3, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of Jehovah, according to all that his father David had done. Remember as we've gone through that there's always this comparison with David, the great shepherd of Israel, the man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel. There's always a comparison with whatever king is growing up in Judah. His ministry, his reign is always compared to David, David. Because God gave to David the promise that through him, through his line, through his lineage, would come the Messiah. And David's line was a a single dynasty from David all the way down to the very end. Unlike the nine dynasties in the northern ten kingdom, there was one in Judah. And it went from father to son to grandson to great-grandson to great-great-great-grandson and so on. The dynasty was never broken God made the promise to David, through your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. They're going to multiply like the sands of the sea, and your seed will inherit the throne forever, forever. And who is he speaking of? We know that he's speaking of Christ, because Christ came through the line of Judah, through the line of David. That's what the genealogy in Matthew is all there for us, for. It's for that purpose, to show us that. So verse 4, he removed, notice, he did something that no one else prior to him with the exception of a one person or so, but for the most part, nobody removed the high places. Even halfway decent kings, for some reason, they didn't go all the way. They only did a little bit. You know, don't go all the way in your relationship with Christ. Don't go just, I'm sorry, don't go um, part of the way is what I mean. Don't go part of the way. Go all in. Don't, Don't test the waters and put your toe in and see if it's warm jump into the pool. <laughs> you want to jump into the pool. You want to just dive right in, regardless of, and just say, Lord, I'm all in. You got all of me. You've paid for all of me. So I'm all yours. All yours. But he, Hezekiah, he removed the high places and he broke the sacred pillars, these instruments of, of, of idolatry that they had built up. He cut down the wooden image. And this is specifically... Uh, A wooden image uh, in worship of Asherah. She was a female Canaanite goddess of fertility. And so he cut the wooden image down, which no one had the guts to do. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it. Now, if you're burning incense to it, you're worshiping it, aren't you? When people worship something, they put it on the altar and they put their whatever it is and they burn incense. You're worshiping whatever that is. And so they took this bronze serpent that Moses had made and we're going to go I'm going to read something to you here in just a minute for some of you who don't know what I'm talking about. But notice they uh, for until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and they called it Nehushtan, which literally means a bronze thing. It just means a bronze thing. And he did what nobody else would do. Let me read to you, uh, and you might want to put off the side of your verse in verse 4 there, Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Numbers 21, verse 4 through 9, because it talks about this brass serpent. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up because of the connotation of it. It says, then they, speaking of Israel, they're, they're wandering through the wilderness before they came into the promised land. It says that they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way and the people spoke against God. Remember, they had just come out of Egypt They're wondering, why are you taking us out into the desert? We're going to die. So they're wandering around out there. The people spoke against God and against Moses. And they say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread, meaning the manna that God was providing every single day for uh, one and a half million people. Can you imagine having bread for one and a half million people? The ovens are always going. But see, I mean, obviously God is creating, he's, he's doing this naturally, supernaturally, through manna in the desert. He caused this stuff to just grow, and, and, then, and they would just go and pick it and eat it. And, and it happened every single day. And he provided for them, right? But they're complaining, there's no food, there's no leeks, there's no onions, and our soul loathes this worthless manna. So the Lord, notice because of their discontent, because of their speaking against God and against his servants, that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Wherefore, the people came to Moses and said, "'We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you.'" And notice what they say, pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord said to Moses, now make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a brass serpent, or a bronze serpent. He put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. It's kind of an unusual thing, isn't it? We know that the serpent for Israel is always a symbol of sin, going back to the Garden of Eden. The serpent spoke to Eve; it was Satan embodied this serpent and was uh, and, and deceived her. Remember, so a serpent has always been a symbol of of sin, and the pole is a symbol of, and bronze is is a symbol of judgment. So this bronze serpent on a wooden pole. This pole is nothing more than a piece of wood that the thing that symbolized sin was attached to. What does that sound like to you? (laughs) Most of you have been here for a while, you know exactly what it sounds like. Jesus in John chapter 3, notice what he says. John chapter 3 verse 14 As Moses was lifted up or excuse me and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness Jesus said even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life there is the the type in the old testament of The sin bearer, the serpent, being put on a pole on a cross, bearing the sins for you and me. And it was there for a reason. And notice it required faith for those people who were bitten. They had to look at the pole. If they said, well, you know what, this is a really dumb idea. I'm not going to look at it. Well, we'll be bearing you. All you have to do is look. And does that require faith? It does. Because if you're looking at the pole and doing what God said, and all you have to do is just do it. If I get bit by a coral snake in Florida, and we had those in our woodpile in southwest Florida, if I got bit by a coral snake, you better believe that if somebody told me, especially with God's direction, look at that brass serpent on the pole and you'll live, I'm going to be hugging the brass serpent with the pole. I'm going to be kissing it to save my life. Right? It's a symbol. It It meant something to them, and they looked by faith and they were saved. Same thing with Jesus when he was taken up and put on the cross, on the wooden cross. The Bible says that he became sin for us. He became all of our sin. In one stroke, God judged all of the sin of mankind once and for all on the cross. That's what that John chapter 3, verse 14 through 16 is all about. It was supposed to point to him, and it does. So, but Hezekiah Seize the people. So for hundreds of years, they've had this brass serpent, and they've been worshiping it. They've been burning incense to it. It became a fetish to them. And and they were no different than the nations around them, the pagan nations, right? And so notice in verse 5, So Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him after the kings of Judah, who were, nor who were before him. And what an amazing, again, condemn, or, or, commendation, not condemnation. Again, the only one who was like him was a young man by the name of Josiah. About 75 years later, God gave him also a stellar commendation. Notice what it says in 2 Kings twenty-three twenty-five. Speaking of Josiah, God gives him the same kind of commendation. Speaking of Josiah, it says, now before him there was no king like him. Who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did anyone arise like him. So Josiah and Hezekiah are right at the top, along with David. Great men. And see, I don't know about you guys, and I believe you do, otherwise you wouldn't be here on a Thursday night. I want to finish well. I want to finish well. I don't want to let the world and, and the things of the world and, and silly things that we, we can all get caught up in. I don't want any of those things to snag me and keep me from being all that God wants me to be. Do you have that same heart? I don't want to. don't want to ruin. I don't want to ruin, uh, I don't want to ruin this, this life that God has given me. I don't want to bring shame to my family. I don't want to bring shame to the name of Jesus. But it's going to be a challenge. It's a challenge for you. It's a challenge for me. But we must keep going and keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And when we fail, we don't wallow in self-pity. No, we confess it and, and return from it, turn away from it. And if we confess it, what's the promise? That he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's really that simple. It's no different than looking at the bronze serpent I either believe that promise, that if I confess my sins and I believe on the one who died for me, all i got to do is confess it, and he is faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness from that sin. That's a pretty good deal, don't you think? So verse 6, For he held fast to the Lord, Hezekiah did. He did not depart from following him, but he kept his commandments which the Lord had commanded him, commanded Moses, excuse me, now the Lord was with him and he prospered wherever he went. And see, that's always the desire of God too. The, when we walk with him and we are obedient to him, and again, it's never easy. It's always harder to do the right thing. The world does bad things because it's easy. It's the, it's the, it's the, the path of least resistance. Have you heard of that? Whenever you take the path of least resistance, you'd better be really careful that you know what you're doing because chances are, The path of least resistance doesn't require faith. It doesn't require diligence. It doesn't require any discipline whatsoever. It doesn't require walking circumspectly. It's just waking up and falling out of bed and just doing whatever you want. But the Lord was with him because he was with God. And notice what God did. He prospered him wherever he went. God wants to prosper you. Not to give you more money. I mean, it may, it may include that. You may be financially blessed, but you know what he wants to give you more than the money? He wants to give you a soul, a life that's worth living. He wants to give you a life that is, has no regrets. He wants to, you to live a life where you've surrendered it to him and you've experienced the blessing. See, so many people are afraid of surrendering to God. Because they think that God's going to do something with them that he doesn't like, that they don't like. And you know what? That couldn't be further from the truth. If you think that God is going to do that, then start praying and say, Lord, I want you to have all of me and do whatever my life with you want. And I can tell you that if you really mean that, it's his job to change your heart. And then pretty soon, you're no longer going to be dragged along like a dog who doesn't want to go for a walk. And the dog's doing this and the owner's trying to, you know... You know, and they're dragging the dog, it's not going to be like that. You're going to be like walking right next to him going, Lord, what's next? What's next? And I'm having such a ball. I am. Me personally, I've never had so much joy and fun in my life. And I get to do this, and I get to talk and pray with people. Pinch me. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not the perfect pastor by any means, but I, I strive to be a good pastor. I strive to be a good husband and a good, um, a good father for my daughter. But where, wherever he went, God prospered him, and he rebelled. Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria, and, and he did not serve them. Now that's not a bad thing, because this king, so uh, all the a couple kings before him, they became vassals to Assyria. So in other words, as long as Judah kept paying Shalmaneser money every, you know, every every month, send the check, you know, have the direct debit out of his checking account. As long as that was going well, everybody was happy. Oh, but don't you miss a payment? Going to shut off your electricity? One, have, you, have you had that happen? Yes, there's a certain company, we, you know, we've been, never mind. Three days late on your bill and they're already calling you. We're going to shut off your lights. I mean, really? For 20, how, how many years have we been paying that on time and now? Where's the love? Where's the family, you know? Uh, where's the family feeling about this whole thing? It's more like uh, whatever. Anyway, so the Lord was with them. so prior to this, Shalmaneser of Assyria forced even Hosea Hosea, excuse me, the the king of Israel, the last king of Israel. He caused him to pay tribute to him. It, you can write this in the margin off of verse 7, but it's 2 Kings chapter 17. Verse 3 and 4. and Let me just read this to you. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, he came up against him, speaking of Hoshea, and Hosea became his vassal. And he paid him tribute money. It's sort of like, you know, friendship money. If you want me to protect you and stay out of, and not bully you, then, you know, give me your lunch money, kid. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea. For he had sent messengers to So, who was, how'd you like to have a name like So? Hey, so, so what? So, so what? So, so what? That was his name, so, king of Egypt. And he brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, and he, as he had done year by year, therefore the king of Assyria shut him up, put him in prison and bound him up because he wasn't paying up. And So notice in verse 8 as we go on here that Hezekiah subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. In other words, he, he just, he subdued the Philistines. Now, I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Chronicles. We're going to read literally through two chapters tonight.
0: And I want That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings.